Good morning. Good, 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 good morning. You can make your way back to your seat. I just want to underline the announcements that Pastor Jeremy just gave us. We would love for many people to be a part of that choir, so if you're interested, like, like he said, go talk to him. Um, that egg hunt next week, that's going to be a lot of fun. And a, a correction I was told is some, can, some uh, eggs with candy are permitted. We want the majority to be with confetti for the experience of what a confetti egg I think, is. And I think she was saying, so if you have, if you, depending on how many children you bring, one to two cartons per child would be helpful in the hunt. And so primarily it's going to be this kind of confetti egg type thing. But there could also be some, some plastic ones with like, kind of like the, the prizes that they find throughout it. Yeah. So. And then Kaziah uh, leaned over to me. She's like, why does it smell like chicken in here? Uh, so that, that's for our Covenant family meeting. So I hope you all could come, everybody. <laughs> so it's uh, Tito and Maribel Scaret. Maribel in particular, she slaved all day yesterday to cook the meal for today, y'all. So be sure to come and eat it. So um, I want to pray. And uh, before I do that, I also want to give a, just a quick, um, maybe a highlight. One of, the, one of the men here at the church and one of the, some of the people were reminding me of a movie that just came out recently called Unplanned. Um, it's a, a movie that just highlights God's vision for life inside of the womb and uh, to expose the lies of our culture that, that really devalues the, the humanity of a child inside the womb. And we know that, that these discussions can bring a lot of hurts and pains depending on your experiences and the things that have gone on in your life. And so we want to be extra sensitive to that. But we also, we also want to make sure that the truth is clear in our world. And we live in a, in a country uh, that has legalized the, the abortion and killing of babies in the womb. And we know these are complex issues, but we also know that the Word of God tells life begins at conception. Uh, the Scripture tells them in Psalm 139, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And so we just want to be those who hold up the value of life, to walk with those maybe who've, who've uh, had an abortion or, or have uh, counseled others to do so, to love and to remind them of the grace and hope and healing that's in Jesus. And so we want to be redemptive in that. We also want to be truthful, right? And so um, if you can, go check out that movie. Uh, it's, it's one that speaks truth. And, and obviously the success of the movie says something about the success of the message. So we really want that to be out there. Um, I'm excited to open the word today with my boo, my wife here, Erica. Um, yeah, so we're, we're going to be in a moment talking about this story of the book of Ruth in the Bible. And uh, it's going to be a great message of, of relationships, of integrity, of character, and I think God's going to do something pretty cool here among us. So before we do that, I want to pray. Would you all pray with me as we open God's word? Mighty, mighty God. Lord, even as we sang that song, Made Away. Um, Lord, I know uh, there have been times that Erica and I have felt that our back was against the wall and wondered if it was over. And um, Lord, you made a way. I thank you for doing that. And Lord, we always want to give you all the credit. <laughs> We don't want to take it, Lord. 
You are the God of this universe. You love us. You've made a way for forgiveness. You've made a way for hope. You've made a way for healing, God. You've made a way for joy, God. And for some even today, you made a way for them to get here this morning. And Father, for my brothers and sisters, for all those who are exploring the faith, for those who know you, our youth, our young people, God, meet us here, Lord. May your spirit just fall upon us, God. Lord, we know that you are omnipresent, which means that you are always present. You are everywhere. We also know that there is a like-mindedness that happens when we gather to worship, and that's what we're doing. So God, meet us. Speak to us. Teach us, God. Grant us ears to hear and eyes to see the truths of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, I heard about a story of a man who was flying from Lithuania to Italy on a Boeing 737. You may have heard of this. The guy's name is Skirmantis Stromitis. That's not a joke. That's his name. And this guy booked a flight from Lithuania to Italy. And as he approached the gate, the flight attendants at the gate said, hey, we were waiting for you, Mr. Stromitis. And he's like, that's weird. How do you know who I am? Why are you waiting for me? And they checked in his bags, and he's just thinking to himself, huh? He gets on the plane, he looked around, and he's the only one there. There was a glitch, basically, in the planning, and he was the lone passenger on a flight from Lithuania to Italy, flying on this plane that holds 189 people, and this dude was by himself. That is nice. That is pretty cool. You know, I've been on flights where there's like 50 of us on a plane that held 220. That happened to me once. And it felt like I was first class the whole time. I mean, it was nice. This dude, like, was legit, like, first class, beyond first class. And uh, I was thinking about this, you know, and they're showing, like, he had tons of selfies. I mean, all, so many pictures of him and an empty plane behind him. And the article basically said that Mr. Stromitis, or as the captain called him, Mr. Passenger, um, Basically, he was just taking selfies, riding solo, traveling about. And when I read the story and I thought about the story, I think, man, that's the way that a lot of us try to live life. We try to live and travel about on our own. Yeah, we got people in our lives, but at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're just going solo. We're not bringing others to speak into our lives. We're not seeking other people's direction and advice and counsel. We're just saying, hey, you know what? I'm basically the captain of this ship. I'm going to do things as I want to do it. It's about me. It's about self and selfie. It's about all that I want to do. And when I think about it, living life like that just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Yet a lot of us, if not all of us, I've been in that boat, have tried that out at different times. Some of us have tried it for short stints, and we realize, okay, this is bad news. Let me recorrect this. And some of us have, stu- have tried this for a long period of time. Maybe some of you are there right now. You've been trying to do this on your own, and you're realizing, man, this plane is pretty lonely. And I've gone in the wrong direction. This isn't working out. These selfies is ultimately not the way I want to live. And so we want to talk about that today um, in, in general, but then in particular when it comes to relationships. We want to talk especially to singleness today as we consider the need and the, the desire God has for our single men and women, our young people who are younger and our single men and women who are adults and, and older to just have people in their lives with counsel and voices. And the same thing for, of course, those who are married and in relationships. We just want to be people who have counsel in our lives. But specifically, we want to talk to singles. But with that being said, I know Erica and I, as we, as we talk about this, we want to make sure that we uh, make something pretty clear. We're going to talk about relationships and how to get a boo of virtue, all right? 
how to, how to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, ultimately a fiancé and then a, a spouse who's got virtue. But before we get into that, we want to make really clear that as a single person, your identity is not bound up in your marital status. All right? Let, let's, let's repeat that. As a single person, your identity is not bound up in your marital status. A lot of the complexities and struggles we see among singles in our country is because we have a very thin and shallow view of singleness. The Bible doesn't have a shallow view of singleness. Your Savior was a single man. The Apostle Paul was a single man. John the Baptist, in whom Jesus says, there has no one ever been born of a woman greater than this man, was a single person. And countless people throughout history. And we end up having a shallow view of singleness so that many people who are, especially in the church and single, feel this pressure to be in a relationship, pressure to get married because they think that's where their identity is. And I need you to know that's not true. As a single person, there is a mission that you can have that is unparalleled. There is a, a, a oneness of mind in following Jesus as a, as a disciple, as a disciple maker, as a small business owner, as a teacher, as an educator, as a physician. Whatever God calls you, as a single person, you have a kind of availability and opportunity that, that affords you that's unique than anyone else. And God has given you that. All right, so if God has called you to singleness and to remain single, we just want to say, praise the Lord. That is a wonderful call, and we just want to just highlight that. And there are others of you who say, you know what, maybe that's my calling. I'm not sure, but I, I do want to consider, I do have a longing for a relationship. And we also want to give instruction on that when it comes down to it. Because we find that so many are flying solo on their plans. We're like, man, but God doesn't tell us to fly solo. And he I, gives us direction. And I think ultimately, either, either way, whether or not, whether we're married or not, our identity can never be in the hmm. relationship. It can never be that this is, this is where I find, I find who I am in this married relationship. Because ultimately, we'll find that that's, that's going to fail us. Yeah. At, some, at some point, our expectations are going to overexceed what, what the ability that our spouse can do for us. And so we have to come to a place where we find that all in all in one person, one God who can actually give us that all that we desire. And so it's a, it's a call for all of us, whether we're whatever stage we are in, to, to find our identity, who we are in God himself and allow him to inform that. And so I feel like the book of Ruth is just a beautiful picture of that whatever stage we're in. And I'm glad that we get to kind of delve yeah. through it today in chapter three. Yeah. And so uh, last week, Erica and I were at a, an, another weekend to remember. We do four of those a year. We teach at marriage conferences. And as part of the conference, they have a pre-married session for couples that are together. Some are engaged. Some are just dating, considering engagement. And as we do this, this uh, small workshop within the conference, uh, without fail, a lot of what we're trying to teach them is to go back to the root of their relationship because they're seeing things come up now as engaged couples and like, man, this is not looking good. These are yellow, maybe red flags. And a lot of times we're saying, well, we got to back up. And a lot of times the starting point that sent them in a trajectory that was off. And so what we want to do is bring you to that starting point today so that if God calls you to be in a relationship, that trajectory can go right. And if you're in a relationship or even you're married, you can back up and say, okay, where did we get wrong here? It's, correct that. it's kind of really the heart. I feel like one of the hardest talks that we give yeah. because it feels so like, like a downer. All of the, these couples come in, they're not married yet. And we're like basically telling them, listen, this is the, a big deal. Yeah. And if there's some yellow flags, some red flags, like you got to deal with them. You don't want to be on the other side later. Like we have experienced 
people in our lives that are on that other side. And so it's like a big, like, if you see warning, warning, and it's, it's really, some, some of the talk is like really hard, but I feel like it's so necessary, but how much even more necessary had it been if that's, that started the foundation? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So we're going to find ourselves in the book of Ruth. We're going to read in, in a moment um, from the, the chapter three. But what we want to do first is give you a quick summary for those who maybe you need a refresher, some who may not have been here the last two weeks or may have missed a week, of what this book is about. It's about a woman by the name of Ruth who, um, whose mother-in-law is Naomi. Naomi was a woman who was married to her husband Elimelech. He passes away. They have two sons together. Their sons get married. Then the sons pass away. One of the daughter-in-law leaves. And now it's just Ruth and Naomi who've experienced a whole lot of grief in life are trying to figure out how to live this life. In ancient uh, Near Eastern culture, uh, women who were single, especially those who had been widowed, um, were very vulnerable in society. Uh, they were exposed. They didn't have rights. They, they, were, they were just in danger in so many ways. And Naomi, now the mother-in-law, the older woman, she says, basically she makes the conclusion that her life is bitter now. She says, God is in control, but what God has done is brought grief. And don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant in Hebrew. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For her, the flavor of life that God had given her was bitterness. And we see that bitter is part of life. We also see that God has a plan for the bitter. It has a way of changing our flavors and bringing these different palates into our life. So that's what chapter 1 is. is setting the stage of this grief and bitterness that they are experiencing. And so Ruth and Naomi find themselves. They walk into Bethlehem. There's two women who have no food and no family. And Ruth chapter 2 talks about how she boldly and courageously asked her mother-in-law, can I go glean in the fields? And then it just so happens that as she is in the field, she's in a field where she's gleaning. It just so happens that that field is owned by a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be from her father-in-law's family, which makes him uh, distinctly unique in, uh, in relationship to her. And he just so happens to see her at the, at, come in and see her at the same time that she is in the field. And, um, and he's like, who is this? Who is this woman? What is she doing here? And he basically says, listen, you know what? Don't, don't go any further. You can stay here. You can glean from here. Actually, I'm going to make sure that there's enough for you. I'm going to provide for you. It, it's okay. You can stay here. I'm going to make sure that you're safe. And you know what? If you're thirsty, drink from my water. It's okay. You can drink here. You kind of like see him like kind of like setting the, the, the tone, leaving like the, the crumbs for her. And, and then he says, actually, not just if you want water, actually stay here and, and have some, a meal with me. Eat with me and my other workers. He, he, he almost equates her with one of his workers when she's here a poor foreigner, right? And so he says, no, come eat with me. So she, she eats. It says that she's satisfied, she's full, she, she leaves. And before she even leaves, he says, you know what? Here, don't go home empty-handed. Here, take this home as well. And so as Ruth goes home, Naomi sees her and she's like, yo, where did you go? Because no one who just gleans from the, from the, the crumbs gets all of that that you just got. So who was it that, whose field? And it's almost like, like in that moment in the, narr- in the, um, in the um, narrative, it's almost as if it's like a Spanish novella where she's like, the name of the man is Boaz. And she's like, Boaz. And in chapter two, she's like, he's our relative, not just our relative. He's 
one of our closest relatives. And then it's kind of like, she, the, the chapter two ends and she says, now stay in that field. That's, that's a good, just stay, stay glean there. And, um, and, and, and so it says that Ruth gleaned there until the end of barley harvest, which would have been a good few weeks. Yeah. And so she did what she, her mother-in-law said, and she stood there gleaning from his field. And, um, and that's where we find ourselves in chapter three. Yeah. B- both these men and women are, are, are people of character we're starting to find. They are both Boaz and Ruth are those who, who have a reputation. And what we're finding, though, is this relationship. We're like, I wonder what's going to happen now in this story. Here's a dope single sister and a dope single brother. Um, she's younger, though. She's probably in her mid-upper 20s at this point. Boaz is likely a, a, a lot older than her. We don't know exactly how old, but we'll see in a moment that he, he highlights the fact that he's significantly older than her. And so we realize, what's going on there? There's, there's this kind of gravitational pull you're feeling towards the two of them, but you don't know what's going to happen. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 3. So here's what we want you to do. Would you guys please rise to your feet? We're going to read chapter 3. It's a bit long, but we want to put the scriptures, the word of God, in front of you. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there is a, grab the blue one in a chair in front of you there. If you don't own a Bible, uh, that is a printed copy of the scriptures, we'd love for you to read, uh, to take that one home and let it be yours but we're going to be reading a chapter 3 here uh, to get the passage in front of us. So follow along with us, Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with, whom, with, with whose young women you, you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. We're going to explain this family. Y'all like, what's going on here? (laughs) So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, And his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. I promise you we'll explain this. Verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have gone, uh, you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. So she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? 
Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is God's word. You may be seated, fam. There's a whole lot there. We're going to do our best to get to as much of it as we can. This is a pretty cool story. We're seeing this, this something going on here between Ruth and Boaz. And um, there's something important to explain here, to set the stage. Erica mentioned that in chapter 2, Naomi's like, yo, Boaz is one of our close relatives. Uh, there was a provision in the law for situations like Ruth and Naomi had. And it was this idea that, this, that a nearer relative could be called what's called a redeemer. You see, in cases such as Ruth's, where she is a young woman, her husband passes away, she is now left without children and vulnerable in society. And God in his word provided a law that said, hey, the nearest relative of the husband it has the opportunity then to uh, take her now as his wife, the nearest single relative, take her as his wife and bring her into the family and raise up a family um, to preserve the name of the deceased. Now, there's a different kind of culture than a lot of us are familiar with here. There's a value on the name of, of others, the older people, the, the more, um, uh, the heirs, the older offspring. And so here what it is, basically, let the next relative come, r- marry this woman who is now a widow, um, start a family with her so that the name of her former husband does not get forgotten. That, that's the provision God's law provides. And so when Naomi says, he is one of our redeemers. Basically, she's saying he's one of the closest relatives that's able to do this. So we see in chapter 3, verse 1, Naomi, her mother-in-law, tells her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Basically, when Naomi's like, all right, Ruth, you've been with me for some time. You've been faithful to stay by my side when your husband passed away. You came back with me. You left your foreign people in, in the land of Moab to come to Bethlehem in Israel where I live. You've shown me great kindness. Now I want to return the favor. I want to find you rest, which is like AKA, I want to find you a husband that will bring you security and provision um, so you are no longer vulnerable and in danger. What I find is pretty cool because you might remember uh, in chapter one, at the end of it, when Naomi says, God has made me bitter, she says, I left Bethlehem full, husband and two sons, and she said, now I've come back empty. And, they, and yet she comes back with Ruth. And if you remember, I was like, Ruth's probably like, dang, what am I? Like, <laughs> chop liver? Like, I'm nothing? And that, but that was Naomi's perception. God's in control, but he's not helping me out here. But what Ruth did was she persisted in kindness, even with a bitter person in her life. How, how many think that's easy? <laughs> it's not easy. To be kind to someone who's bitter and sees you as not, nothing of great value. But Ruth persists in kindness. Boaz shows Ruth kindness. And now Naomi's starting to pick up on this. I want you to know, family, kindness is contagious. Kindness is contagious. And now Naomi's like, man, I want to extend this kindness to you. And so basically she points her to Boaz. She says in verse 2, Is not Boaz our relative with, who, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Naomi's like, hey, I know where he's going to be. I've got a plan in place. He's one of your redeemers. He's one of the kinsmen. He's one of the people who's close in line to bring you in as his wife and to provide that shelter for you. All right? Here Naomi's looking out for her. She's got a plan. But one thing I want to point out to you is we talk about 
uh, singleness in particular. There's four points we want to highlight in this message for those who are single, seeking a relationship, trying to find a boo of virtue, all right? So this is what you got to do. This is the first point we see in this passage is that uh, is to be patient in your singleness. Okay, you, you want, you want a, a boyfriend, you want a girlfriend, you want someone, a partner, who is going to be a person of virtue, it requires them to be patient in your singleness. Naomi says that he is winnowing barley tonight, all right? This is a significant detail because at the end of chapter 1, we find out that Ruth shows up at Boaz's field at the beginning of the barley harvest, all right? So they're out in the fields, they're, they're picking grain, and the harvest season lasts for about six to eight weeks. And at the end of that season, they take all the grain they've picked, and they begin to winnow it. What they would do is take these pitchforks, take the grain, throw it in the air, the wind would blow away the chaff, the seeds would fall to the ground. But they did that at the end of the barley harvest, which tells us then that Ruth had been working in Boaz's field some six weeks already, not trying to strike a move with him, all right? She's there doing what God called her to do, and that's to get work, get food, provide for herself and her mother-in-law. Ruth was preoccupied with being faithful to the call God had called her to when things began to unfold. She was patient in her singleness. She was not trying to allow herself to be distracted by this man who treated her very nicely. She was not letting herself get off track from God's plan. And to, as a word to singles, I, just want, I want to really impress on you. Don't feel rushed to come out of singleness. That's, that's one of the greatest pressures we just see among so many singles. Rushing into relationships for all kinds of reasons. And a lot of times you might hear things like, oh, when's your turn at a wedding? That's the dumbest thing to tell a single. All right? Don't ever do that. Because I've known singles been like, oh, that's a great question. I don't know when my turn is. It's not in their control. So don't ask them questions that's not in their control. But sometimes you hear those kind of ridiculous comments over and over as a single. You start feeling like, man, when is my turn? I need to make a turn happen here. Or maybe you might think, I should be married by now. My biological clock is ticking. I want to have children. I'm getting older. This, this window is shrinking. I got to make something happen. And then you rush. Or you rationalize, this might be my only way out of the misery I'm feeling. Just finding a mate. Finding that guy, that gal. Or maybe you've gone by your feelings. You meet someone, you're like, man, I've never felt this way before. But a friend of ours, Tim Kimmel, says, don't think with your feelings. Because feelings don't think. They feel. And so feelings are good, but we can't make decisions based on feelings. So these are ways that sometimes when we don't, we don't pay attention, we rush into a relationship. And, and Ruth, is just, she's, she's calculated here. She's diligently working. And some of you are like, that's six weeks? Try 16 years. 26 years. 36 years of singleness. Six weeks, man, that was, that was no problem. And so what we want to just acknowledge that, look, that we know singleness at times when there's a desire for a relationship. We're not saying these are easy and, and easy things to do to be patient and waiting on God. But what we will say is that God is good. His timing is perfect. He knows you and loves you. So be busy doing God's work, what he's called you to do. Be working, or as a friend of ours, Melody says, Ruth was busy working, not twerking, all right? She, she was doing what God called her to do. 
She was not distracted with other things in life. And so how to get a boo with virtue, first thing, be patient in your singleness. That's good. And then, so she's patient in her singleness. She's, she's faithfully working the field. And then now in verse 3 and 4, Naomi gives her some instructions. And at first, they seem really, really risque. Okay? So let's, <laughs> even racy. Okay? So she tells her to wash and anoint yourself or put on perfume and then put on your cloak. Go down to the threshing floor. But do not let Boaz recognize you during the feasting and wait until he's in a good mood. And then when he sleeps, go and uncover his feet and then lie down. And then do whatever he tells you. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's like, it's like where did this come yeah. from? What's going on here, y'all? And I, you know what? I think that the, the narrator is actually causing us to kind of come to that place. I, I don't know if you're going to talk about Genesis. Well, we can talk about that. Um, I think he's causing you to think of another situation that sounded very similar to this. And yet we see a completely different, that, that that was not what Boaz thought she was doing. So, but what exactly is she instructing Ruth to do here? Is Naomi telling Ruth to get ready like a bride for marriage? Um, like really, what, is, what are you to think of a woman who bathes, puts on perfume, and then in the dark of night when nobody else goes out, she goes out into the field, uh, where the man is sleeping, and mind you, Naomi said, make sure that it is him. <laughs> She's like, you know, I know it's dark, so make sure you see where he falls asleep. And then make sure it's him that you uncover. You uncover his legs where he's sleeping, his feet, okay? And I, I really want to unpack what's happening here, but I want us to, to see, regardless of what's happening here, this is a huge gamble, if you're thinking what this is probably causing you to think, Boaz could have interpreted that, he could have interpreted that way as well. And he could have acted on what seemed suggestive to him. He could have woken up in the middle of the night groggy and willingly took her as a prostitute. Because it would not have been an uncommon occurrence, actually, at the threshing floor, that prostitutes would have come and found men and, and solicited themselves um, for maybe food, um, maybe a, a warm place to sleep. That would not have been uncommon. And honestly, it would not have been far off. R- remember, this is happening during the book of Judges, mm-hmm. where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So this could have totally been exactly that. And Boaz could have responded and did exactly what was, what was in his eyes to do. Okay, that's one option. Another option would be to take her actions um, as those of a prostitute, right? And he's he's like, what are you doing? And him being a righteous man, um, want nothing to do with her. And then she would no longer have favor in his eyes. Those are two very, very risky options that Naomi is kind of putting before her and telling her, okay, I I think this is, is wise for you to do, okay? Or Boaz could wake up and realize the real meaning of Ruth's actions and respond favorably to her. It was a really big risk. And sometimes we have to be willing to take a risk to go for the gamble. And Ruth is willing because she consistently listened to the voice of authority in her life. And she easily submitted to it. The first instructions was to wash and perfume herself, right? 
And I feel those are more than just, look, Ruth, you, you, you know, you, I know you're a hardworking woman. You're a little smelly. You know, <laughs> make sure that when you go there, make sure that you, you know, you wash up a little bit. I think it's a little bit more than that, although I think that's also a good plus. Um, in 2 Samuel um, 12, 2, after David, David sins and he is his, his child that he that is, is now birthed through Bathsheba, is born and, and sick, um, he is mourning, and he is fasting, and he is crying out to the Lord. And then it says in 12.2, it says, then David, um, so then after he finds out his child is actually, is actually, is dead. And, and his servants are actually really afraid to tell him because they're like, look and see how much he mourned when he was alive, hoping that he was going to remain alive. And now we can't tell him. And then David hears them kind of talking it over. And he's like, he's dead. And then it says, then David got up from the ground because he was literally mourning on the ground. And he washed, put on lotions and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. So David does this to show that his mourning He's left that time of mourning. Um, his son has just passed away, and so he was doing something significant to show that his time for mourning is now done and he could move on. It's like a symbolic act of his, of his willingness to, to say, my, my time of mourning is done. And I think that's what the picture that we see here. Ruth has been mourning for a long time, and Naomi is telling her to signify that her time of mourning is over and it's okay to move on now. It's okay. And I imagine Ruth potentially even taking the garments of mourning that she was continually dressed in uh, and maybe putting on different clothes, maybe revealing herself as somebody completely different. Like my time of mourning is, is done. And, um, and so she's basically saying, so I want you to do that and reveal yourself kind of like, like an eligible bachelorette. You're no longer under mourning. And so all of these actions set up Ruth to be even more attractive to Boaz. And Israel, obviously at that time, was a hot climate, and so a good little bath and perfume would have been done her some good. And Naomi is telling Ruth, like, I know you're a hardworking woman, but now fix yourself up and go to Boaz. And she tells her to go to the threshing floor and hide out and don't let Boaz see you because he would have been feasting and wait until he's in a, in a good mood, wait until he has fallen asleep. And when he has fallen asleep, go ahead and uncover his feet and lie down. And that sounds so, so fishy. And I, we're going to get to that. But the words at first glance, I mean, she says, she, they all sound like a, a sexual encounter. She tells her to wash herself when he's lying down and then uncover him. And so it feels like, is she trying to prepare herself? Is she trying to be risque and, and, and say, hey, listen, I'm available in that type of way. And under ordinary circumstances, she could have looked like the actions of a prostitute. Um, and, but I think that the, the, the narrator is trying to help us to see that it's actually not going to be, the, it's not the same. And especially because there's similar wording to the book of Genesis, I don't know, are, are we mentioning that? I was going to, yeah. Okay, good. So it's very similar to Genesis. And in, 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 um, in that story, there's a completely different outcome, but the words are so similar, like lay down and uncover so that we can have a, a lineage, 
so that we can go ahead and, and continue to have some covering over us. And so, um, but I don't think that that's what Ruth, Naomi intended for Ruth. And here's why. Because Boaz does not take her intentions as dishonorable. He doesn't. He does not see her, her actions even as sexually suggestive or inviting. He sees her actions and he commends her for them and he points out her character as something to esteem. Okay? He, he points out her character and he, and, he, and he esteems her because of it. And so it's not like she's, she's sugge- doing anything suggestive to him. And so we're, we'll get to that. But I think the biggest thing to note here from this portion is that is Ruth and her response to counsel. Okay, because this was counsel coming from her mother-in-law. She listens and she follows through on the advice. According to Ruth chapter 5, Ruth's submissive heart and her, and her submissive spirit welcomed wisdom into her life and it positions her for blessing and for favor. And that's something that I know all throughout the beginning chapters, that Ruth was very submissive. She was easy. She, she was easy to, it was not hard for her to ask for advice for her mother-in-law. Even when she wanted to go winnow, like glean from the field, she asked her mother-in-law first. And she wanted her blessing first. And so she doesn't have a hard time hearing counsel, and she doesn't have a hard time listening and actually doing it. And yet I think that's dying and rare, a rare trait for young single women to be eager to submit and listen to counsel of wiser older women and to continually welcome it in our life, to ask for it and to ask for the blessing that comes from it and the favor that comes from listening to it. And I think it's actually, it's actually something that is for all of us to ask. Like, am I the type of person who is willing to listen? Do I invite wise counsel into my life? Am I submissive and obedient? I see Ruth's ability to submit to her mother-in-law as opening her to easily submit later to God and her authority under him. And that's a, that's a, 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 a great call for us, all of us. If, if we find it easy to submit to those who the godly counsel and advice to those around us, it'll be easier for us to then submit to God and his counsel and his authority. Okay, and so we, we need to be the type of people that welcome it, um, but but I think it's kind of rare that these days that that we are that we truly choose to say I, I kind of like that idea of being on the plane alone sounds real good sometimes. I don't got to listen to nobody. Nobody got to you know bump up next to me. Like I can do my own thing, and yet here is Ruth, and she finds her blessing linked to obedience. You know. Um, and I think that's a call to renew the eagerness for us to listen to wise counsel um, and to listen to, to those who love us in our lives and being willing to say, okay, and I'll actually do it. I'm not just going to ask you, what do you think about this? I'm going to do it, okay? And I know it's anti-cultural, but that's the way that God designed us to live in community with one another, not lone rangers. And so I was thinking, it's not, um, let's not be like the Beyonce single lady song. Up in the club, just broke up. I'm doing my own little thing. (laughs) Doing our own little thing doesn't position us for God's blessing. And Mm -hmm. actually, you can almost definitely know that when you're beginning to do your own little thing, that you're welcoming isolation. And that's a place that Satan loves to have a field day in our lives, okay? Mm -hmm. And so invite others in and seek counsel and be willing to listen to advice. As Proverbs 19.20 says, listen to the advice and accept instruction. Why? That you may gain wisdom in the future. 
And so now we're going to see how somebody like Ruth, what happens after she actually listens and obeys, and she says, I'm going to do the thing that you just said to do. Yeah, Ruth's probably like, I'm trusting you on this one, Naomi. This plan sounds a little out there, but I'm going to trust you on this one. So, so we've seen already the, the first thing is to be, to be uh, in order to get a boo of virtue, is to be patient in your singleness. The second one is to receive godly counsel from, from older people, and that, that's, that's essential. Um, and here we see her now following through on the plan in verses 7 and following. She shows up. It's midnight. She uncovers his feet. She lays down next to him. Uh, and then it says that midnight in verse 8, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. That's not a normal thing, all right, that happens to people, all right? So he is definitely concerned. I want to give a quick, a quick pause here. It's interesting that Boaz is outside sleeping at this field. Usually, the servants would go out there and sleep where the, the, the barley was being winnowed. And the reason was it was outside of the city, so it wasn't protected by the city walls. So it was vulnerable to the attack of, of uh, thieves and, and wild animals. And so these servants would sleep at, the, at these piles of grain to protect it at night. And here Boaz is actually out there sleeping, and he's not the servant. He's the master. And what's pretty cool we see consistently in Boaz and his character is that he was not an authoritarian kind of domineering leader even among his servants. In fact, we see in chapter 2 when he shows up um, to see his servants, he greets them with a blessing. He has a meal with them later in chapter 2, and here evidently he even lays down to protect the food with his servants, although that was usually not something a master did. If you're a person of authority, be a person of, of character, not dim, domineering and, and, and lording your authority over those under you and subject to you. Be a great boss. Be a good leader, supervisor, and owner. Um, so here Boaz is there. Verse 9, he says, who are you? That's a great question to ask when you wake up and someone's laying at your feet. All right, that's a great question to ask. He asks it. He's, he is clearly startled. This is not normal. And what happens there in verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She basically tells him, hey, this is who I am, and this is what I've come for. Erica mentioned a story in the book of Genesis, and this is eerily similar. There's a story of a lot who has two daughters. And I'm going to give a quick summary. If you're not familiar with the story, we can give you the, the, the chapter. I believe it's a Genesis. No, I don't remember which chapter. Um, 19? <laughs> Erica says 19. We'll go with that one. And Lot and his daughters, they flee a city, Sodom and Gomorrah, it gets burned up. And now his daughters are like, hey, we're single. We've got no one here to, to marry us. We have no way of being pregnant. The oldest daughter has a horrible plan. Hey, let's get dad drunk. And I will sleep with him the first night. Second night, sister, you get dad drunk and you do that. Yes, this is, ha- this is in the Bible. The oldest daughter gets pregnant, and guess what she names her son? Moab, from whom the Moabites come. Ruth is here a Moabite. And so we see this story of a man now who is well-fed, goes asleep at night, and a woman coming to him at night. It's eerily similar, but two important details are different. Boaz is not drunk at night. And Ruth is not coming to lay with him. Both of them show virtue where the other ones did not. Again, heightening their character. And Ruth says, spread your wing over me. Basically, as we see in Ezekiel 16, a similar language is used. What she is basically saying is, I'm available for marriage, and I would love for that to be with you. Now, some of you are thinking, like, so is it okay for a woman to propose to a man? So some of these things are just, are, 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 we need to say, okay, what's the principle here, all right? 
We don't want anybody showing up at people's doorsteps, laying down at night, okay? Don't be getting the key to someone's house to sleep at the floor of the, like, all right, this is cultural. But what is here is basically, as Erica mentioned, Ruth is showing, hey, I'm no longer mourning. And it's remarkable how Boaz responds in verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. So the third point about how to get a boo with virtue is this, is to excel in God-inspired kindness. This is what I mean. He says, you've treated me kindly. The word in Hebrew, as I've taught you guys before, is chesed. And you've got to get that guttural sound, the chesed. All right? That is the word that used to speak of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. And what Boaz is saying, you are showing, Ruth, that kind of love and kindness to me. And earlier, it shows that Boaz showed that kind of kindness to her. What we see here is there is no way we can show a selfless, sacrificial kind of kindness to someone else unless we've experienced that same kind of kindness from God. Okay? So Ruth is a woman who understands God's kindness toward her. And from there, she's extending it to someone else. And, we're, and here he's calling her, he's saying, you are excelling in kindness. Now, this is what made this so kind, what she was doing. This is, this is important. She is basically making herself available to him for marriage when he's not the most closest relative to redeem her. If you recall, Naomi says, Boaz is one of our redeemers. And Ruth tells him here, she says, you are a redeemer. Not you are my, you are the, you are one of them. And Boaz is saying, hey, you know what I know. There is a younger man who is a closer relative to you that has basically the first opportunity, according to the law, to bring you in as his wife. And basically saying, but Ruth, I see that right now you can care less about my age, but you understand something. I've protected you, I've provided for you, I've cared for you. And for you as a single woman, that is of more importance to you than what my age is or what I am like visibly or whatever. Ruth places a premium on the character of Boaz over against anything else right here. You guys hear me? And so what's going to happen, men and women, there will always be someone. Ladies, there will always be that smooth talking player who's always trying to go after you. Men, there will always be that woman who's going to be dressed to impress, seducing. And what we see here is that there must be a conviction in your soul that puts a higher premium on someone with character and kindness. For ladies, put a higher premium on a man who says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. When you're with me, you're safe. And for you, brothers, you want to to put a premium on a woman that says, hey, you're the only man for me. I'm not going elsewhere. I'm not trying to get other guys' eyes. And so this kindness that Ruth shows to Boaz comes out of the kindness that she's received from God. Look, guys. Unless you've been rocked by the fact that Jesus Christ has come to redeem you, you won't understand then how to show kindness truthfully to other people. The, the greatest remedy to self-focused selfishness is to surrender your life to Jesus, see his sacrifice for you, and then let his kindness inform your kindness. It is a God-inspired kindness that she shows. So the third thing we see is to excel in that kind of kindness. He says, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow 
townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. The way that Boaz speaks to Ruth is almost like a, 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 a Nicholas Sparks novel, you know, like a, a notebook-worthy moment right here. But it doesn't go that, that worldly route, okay? He calls her by a term of endearment. He says, my daughter. He, he tells her, Don't, do not fear. And he gives her some ten, tender and comforting words, and he quickly calms her, her fears because he knows she's, taken, he, she's just taken a really huge risk. You know, he has a lot of authority. He is a, in chapter two, it mentions him being a, a man of valor, a man of wealth. And so he, he basically is like, it's, it's okay, um, my, my, my daughter, it, don't, don't fear. Um, because she's basically looking at him and, and asking for him to consider her worthy to be his wife, for her worthy to be under his covering. And so here she is, she's, she's the maid, she's the servant, and she is asking, commanding the, the boss to do something for her. Ruth is bold. She is bold. And he had every right to say, like, who do you think you are coming to me and asking such bold things from me, you know? Um, but Boaz's character is shouting over and over again in this narrative that it's not just his, his words that are shouting loudly, but it's also his consistent actions. And, and as we consider and we think about singles, as we think about somebody who is, is worth pursuing, worth looking at in that way, it's somebody who's, whose words and their consistent actions match. As well as the fact that Ruth felt Boaz was the type of person that she could take this risk with. She felt like she could be safe with him. And Boaz tells her, I will do for you all that you ask. Boaz doesn't waste time. He doesn't play hard to get. He is equally responsive and forthright, and he gives Ruth some assurance here. And I say that's that's drastically different from what many single women, unfortunately, face often. Not knowing his intentions. Maybe he's not being very forthright. He's not the type of person that's like, it's okay, don't, don't fear you know, you're kind of not, not sure. Well, Boaz is, is drastically, drastically showing his, his character here. And he has been throughout the whole book. Boaz clearly reciprocates Ruth's affections, right? Um, it's a really precious moment. And, um, and there's no, no need, like, like I say, I'd say, if this were a movie right now, this would be the moment where they would make this steamy, Right? and inappropriate, and where they would now take steps that weren't, it wasn't the time for that. They would now fall into some stuff that they shouldn't be falling in, and yet none of that is done at this point. None of that. They don't unselfcontrollably act like animals. It doesn't all of a sudden start raining, and it's like, oh, we couldn't help ourselves. We just, you know, their, their character is so undeniable in this moment in the middle of the night, in the darkness, it, it, has, it has nothing to do about the immediate gratification. It's looking to the future and looking for a boo with virtue, right? Um, the narrator is helping us to see what true love actually is and what it actually does. Mm-hmm. What true love actually is. And 
And I think what's so cool is that Boaz is ultimately attracted to what he heard about Ruth and her character, right? Just as Ruth is attracted to all that she's seen in Boaz um, because she could have pursued younger men. And yet she's attracted to what she sees because Boaz says, listen, don't worry. I know what you did is risky, Ruth. Um, You took a gamble in doing this, but I plan to do all that you're asking of me. And he basically says, I'm so amazed by your kindness. I'm so amazed that this is, this feels even kinder than all that you've been known for. Um, And I love that because he says, for all of my townsmen, all of my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Literally, he's saying, all my people who gather at the gate, everyone who comes out of this, comes in and out of this city, know that you're a worthy woman. And that's pretty crazy to think about because Ruth had only been in Bethlehem for just a few short months. Mm. And in in those months, she gained a reputation. In just a few short months, she gained a beautiful reputation. She walked into the city as a low, poor foreigner with all that she had, a mother-in-law, they had no food, no family. And yet look at the reputation that she has now. Not, Not just that, but she was a Moabite an enemy of Israel. You know, when people thought of Moabites, they thought of that story of Lot and his daughters. And that's not the type of reputation that she has now because her devotion to her mother-in-law, her willingness to leave and give up all, the townspeople knew her true character. And she didn't gain this reputation by trying to make a name for herself, right? She doesn't. Or by associating with the right people. She doesn't work. She doesn't do it that way. Or by her looks, you know, this woman worked hard in the field. She, she, she was grinding out. She was sweating. She was providing for her mother-in-law, just doing the daily things of life. And that's how people, that's how her reputation grew to, to, so that people saw her character. Isn't that, isn't that just so neat? Here she was just, just doing what she felt was the right thing to do. And she wasn't trying to make up that, that reputation on her own. And, and nor, was, nor was Boaz. And he could have, at this moment, he could have treated her like, you, you know, you're, you're a Moabite. You're, you're trash. You know, like, go ahead and glean from the trash. And he doesn't. Um, but with the k- true kindness of his own, he sees her as a woman who's equal in status and character to himself. And he's attracted to it. So when you find somebody who sees you as equal in status, equal in character, and, and is just as kind, and it is, is attracted to you, that is how to get a boo with virtue. <laughs> Getting a boo with virtue begins with being a boo with virtue. The phrase, a worthy woman or an excellent, excellent woman, is found in Proverbs 31.10. And I know that Pastor Eric mentioned it, I don't remember maybe the first sermon, but Ruth in the Jewish and the Jewish Hebrew Bible would have been right after the book of Proverbs. Almost as if saying, here's this picture of a, a worthy and excellent woman, and here's, here's Ruth. She's exemplifying that for us so that we can see what that kind of looks like. Proverbs 31.10 says, an excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. And I don't know if, Pro- if Boaz had this proverb in mind, but it was, it was not um, penned yet. But it's almost as if um, Boaz is like, I've been hearing about you, and you are a diamond in the rough, girl. (laughs) And good women are hard to find. They have to be from God. A good woman is from the Lord. She is far more precious than jewels. 
And um, just even thinking about that, the fact that they both, you know, Boaz in chapter 2 is mentioned as a man, is a very similar wording here, a, a virtuous man, and she herself is a virtuous woman. And they find themselves here, these two godly, godly characters. Here, Ruth is learning what, what godliness is and, and, and kindness is, and they find themselves attracted to one another. And it's just so, so beautiful. Um, so, single, seek someone who will be your, your ally, who will be with you in the fight. And even when you look at that word of um, excellent or virtue, it has the ideas of there's so many different words that is translated here. It's translated virtuous or excellent. There's, all, there's also a lot of words that have to do with strength and ally. And when I look at that, I think of you, the, the person that you want to, to, to be with. You want them to be the type of person that's going to make it or break it in a war. Because how many of us know that we are in a war, Right? And how important in a war is the allies that you come alongside you? They can make or break a war. Mm -hmm. And so here is Boaz saying, I know that you're an excellent woman. And so they're attracted to one another. Um, And so, yeah. So we've we've looked at four things that that are key in getting a boo with virtue. Uh, It's to be patient in your singleness to seek mature, godly counsel, to excel in a God-inspired kind of kindness, and lastly, is to actually be a boo of virtue. The story, is, is it culminates, uh, Boaz gives Ruth food as she goes back home, provides for her mother-in-law, and in his very last verse in the chapter, it says, uh, Naomi basically tells Ruth, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until... Uh, rest, but we'll settle the matter today. Basically, what she says, all right, Ruth, everything's done. Just wait. I, I want to land the plane here and just state this. It's remarkable how Naomi tells her to be patient and trust. The very thing Naomi was failing to do in chapter one, trusting God. We said from the very beginning, Naomi never doubted the fact that God was in control, but what she did doubt was that God was good and trustworthy. Now she sees that God is not only in control, but you can trust him. See, all of us are going through different scenarios, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you desire a relationship or not. But being someone of virtue is of the most important thing. But what's also remarkable is that all of us are in need of redemption like Ruth was. It was for her, her nearest relative, that she needed to come in and help her. But we've got a relative who is our father in heaven who has seen us in our need, in our place of vulnerability, our place of need, our place where we could do nothing. And our Father sent a son, his son, his one and only son, to redeem us from our sin. And that's where life begins, through Jesus. So this story is remarkable when it comes to its wisdom, but also is a call to reminder, all of us are in need of God's loving kindness, and as an expression of being ones who received it, then to extend it to others. You want a boo of virtue, fam? You're a single person? I'll start with being a boo of virtue. And that starts with surrendering your life to Jesus, who will never fail you. Thank you, boo. All right, let's, let's pray. <laughs> well, Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we're thankful, God, for um, how you have helped us um, by reminding us of Jesus and his uh, stepping in on our behalf, Lord, our great Redeemer. God, I pray that uh, for all uh, the single people out here, um, that you would encourage our brothers, our sisters, 
in, in, their, in their singleness. May they have a great purpose and focus on you. Lord, if you would call them into a relationship or if they're in one, God, I pray that they would excel in patience. God, I pray that they would seek the counsel of godly people in their lives who are older than them and not just seek counsel but actually follow through with the advice. God, I pray that they would love kindness that's motivated by you, Lord, and that they themselves would seek to be men and women of character, God. Lord, that's what you want for us, all of us, for our lifestyle to be evident to the people around us that we are those who follow Jesus. Help us, Lord, we pray. We lift this all before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. We want to invite you to stand with me here as we sing this closing song. Prayer team, would you make yourself available to the left and right of the stage here? And um, as we sing this closing song of worship, let it be truly a a song of prayer from our heart. And if God is moving you for any kind of prayer request related or unrelated to this sermon, uh, we'd love our prayer team to pray for you. They're eager to pray for you. I know that they are. So give them the opportunity to step in and just lift up your request to God. So let's sing this closing song together.